should have numbered those pages, huh? If the sermon's confusing, now you know why. (laughs) There's a story about Albert Einstein taking a trip on a train. Everybody in his car recognized him, knew who he was. They were excited to be traveling with such a famous person. And as the train was ready to leave the station, the, the conductor came around making sure everybody had their tickets and... He noticed Einstein fumbling through his pockets and his bags and papers, and when the conductor finally reached him, Einstein embarrassingly admitted he he couldn't find his ticket. Oh, that's no problem, Mr. Einstein, the conductor said. We know who you are. Einstein said, well, I know who I am too, but I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) Maybe that describes you this morning. You know who you are, but you don't know where you're going. All of us can lose our way from time to time, can't we? Sometimes uh, we lose our way in little ways. Uh, We can get right back on course in life pretty quickly. We have a little minor setback, but we respond okay, and and we're back on track. Other times the the drifting is bigger or longer than that. Each week we get prayer requests from uh, you guys on the connection cards, and uh, it's not uncommon for people to ask for prayer for friends or family members who are drifting away from faith, making decisions that could turn out to be disastrous, and we pray that uh, they'll find their way back to what's true and what's right and what's good. And maybe for some of us, maybe that's our story. Maybe we drifted this way and that, living a certain way, and then like the, the prodigal son, we came to our senses one day, we found our way to God and to God's people. But Uh, Maybe for you, that's not your story. Maybe you've always been a steady-as-she-goes kind of a person. You don't have a story full of dramatic twists and turns and and drop-offs and returns, and and that's great. Praise God for that. But all of us have moments, moments of temptation, moments where the risk of drifting away is very, very real. And the reality is it doesn't take much for our hearts to get off course. Uh, Consider this. Imagine you set sail somewhere. But you're off course by just one degree. Out of 360, you're off by just one. And after traveling a foot, you'd only be off course by two-tenths of an inch. Well, that's no big deal, right? Easy thing to correct. But over time, check out what happens as you keep traveling. Over 100 yards, you'd be off track by five feet. Still not that big of a deal, but starting to be noticeable. After just one mile, you'd be off course over 92 feet. At this point, that one degree is starting to make a real difference. Consider this. If you were flying from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., across the country, you got off off course by one degree, you'd miss your destination by 42 and a half miles. That's like an hour's drive, right? If you're in a rocket ship off course by one degree, you'd miss the moon by 4,169 miles. That's twice the diameter of the moon itself. Suddenly, that little bit of drift starts to matter. It's the principle of drift, being just a little bit off course, multiplied by long periods of time, means you're not going to end up at your intended destination. Your life's going to be radically different than the life that God had in mind for you. Well, as individuals, as a church, we're the same. We all run the risk of getting off course, of drifting So the question is, what do we do to make sure that we remain on course for the things that God wants for us? It's a very important question, if you get my drift. 
groans. <laughs> it's going to be a long morning. Uh, as we continue our series anchored, exploring the book of Hebrews, uh, you may recall, if you were here last week, you may recall that the, uh, the book of Hebrews is built around five warnings, five places where the author of Hebrews warns us of some danger that keeps us from anchoring our lives in Christ. And the church to which he's writing, they were in danger. They're tempted to, to run away from their problems. They're tempted to, to fade away just to try to blend into the culture because things were hard for them. They were, they were facing a lot of challenges. And because of those challenges, they were in danger. So the book of Hebrews is really built around these five specific dangers that we're going to explore. And if you were here last week, you got a bonus danger. Uh, we started chapter one last week. We talked about the danger of distraction, taking our eyes off of Jesus, off of the truth of his, his majesty and his glory and grace. We talked about that, but that's a bonus danger. That's not one of the, the five that this author specifically mentions. So uh, throughout the book, keeping our focus on Christ, though, that's the antidote to all the dangers. So as we explore all these dangers, we're really going to be looking over and over again to Jesus, understanding how he faced these dangers, and then we can model our own response on his. And this morning, we're going to talk about the danger of drift. Just like a boat or a plane or a rocket, drift can be something that starts small, seems insignificant, and yet can have disastrous results. It's easy for a church to let loose of its anchor, just begin to float or drift away. It's easy for uh, uh, all of us to do that. Not even a deliberate turning in one direction or another. Not even a conscious decision, perhaps. Just a little bit of wavering, a little bit of slip, and then we're no longer anchored and we're just adrift. And the thing to remember is that it always starts small. As a church, we might not be adrift. I don't think that marks us as a church, but that danger is always present. And it starts small with, with little things that would go unnoticed. It starts with just letting some things go, and before you know it, you're adrift. You're off course. Nowadays, you know, we don't maybe call it drifting so much. In our personal lives, we, we might call it burnout, right? That's a big buzzword, one of those things that's been around a long time but only recently getting talked about. In fact, earlier this year, the World Health Organization confirmed what thousands of people have been saying for decades, that burnout is real. The World Health Organization officially listed burnout as a disease, as a condition. It's not just in your head. So I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but burnout is now a legitimate condition. Check out the list of symptoms that they ascribe to burnout. See if you notice anything familiar for your own life. They define burnout as feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion. I, I call that parenting, but uh, they call it burnout. Increased mental distance from one's work or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's work. Reduced professional effectiveness. Hopefully you're not feeling those things, but uh, all of us can certainly relate to burnout on some level. And, and burnout, it's a progression, just like drifting. It starts simple with what the World Health Organization they call drained vitality. And that leads to the next piece they call broken connections cutting yourself off from relationships that are life-giving, that are helpful. You start to isolate yourself. And then, according to the World Health Organization, you end up with reduced contribution. So burnout, drift, all these things, they start very small with seemingly insignificant symptoms, just like uh, feeling a little tired. And then it develops from there. If left unchecked, burnout develops into full-scale depression. Before you know it, you're acting like Antonio Brown, refusing to report to training camp, right? 
reduced contribution. That's you. All of us are at risk of burnout, not necessarily in the workplace, but in our spiritual lives. And just like this warning from the book of Hebrews, it starts small, just an almost unnoticeable slipping. And before we know it, we're just drifting wildly off course. For us, it might start with simply slipping in our engagement with God, neglecting our time with God's word or neglecting prayer. We don't feel like we have time for those things or or maybe they don't bring us that instant sense of joy the way some things do. It's not like social media where the payoff is kind of instantaneous, you know, reading the Bible and praying. Sometimes it's that way, but not always. Sometimes it's simply like every relationship we have, we spend time with God, not because we need something from him, but just because we love him and we want to spend time with him, not necessarily to to get something out of the deal. I'm reminded of a quote from Pastor John Piper. He says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. You could also substitute in watching professional sports or Netflix binging will prove that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Drifting starts small, just letting one thing go and then another. And before long, we don't even have the time or the desire to spend time with God. But the author of Hebrews gives us a way to respond when we're tempted to drift. So let's explore this warning, the danger of drift, and let's understand how we can stay anchored on Christ. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard, so that we will not drift away. So we see right here the warning, this warning to not drift away. But, but notice right at the beginning of the verse, it says, for this reason. Well, what's the reason? Why should we not drift? The reason points us back to the beginning of the book. We talked about it last week. We shouldn't drift because Jesus is the best thing that there is. There's nothing better that we can anchor ourselves to than Jesus. He's he's the best. If you were here last week, we talked about a variety of amazing truths about Jesus, including the fact that he is right now with God interceding on our behalf. He sees us. He sees the the challenges that we face. He prays to the Father that we might overcome this temptation to drift. So one of the big reasons that we shouldn't drift is because whatever we drift to is going to be a poor substitute for Jesus. Jesus is superior to everything else, and drifting means we're going to anchor ourselves to something else that's not as good. So that's one big reason not to drift away. But the author goes on to tell us another reason we shouldn't drift. He tells us the the salvation that Jesus has given us, the the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, the relationship we have with him, that's the primary reason. But then he gives another reason. Look down at verse 4. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. So see, God has shown us his care and his concern. He's testified how much better he is through his son, Jesus. And at the same time, he's he's demonstrated his greatness, his superiority through these things, these signs, wonders, various miracles. God has demonstrated that he is who he says he is. And we can devote ourselves fully to him without drifting because he's done all these things, all kinds of things, even miraculous things to help us put our trust in him. 
Remember, throughout this book of Hebrews, the author holds Jesus up as this example. And here, as he warns us about the danger of drift, he points us to the example of Jesus and the example of God's miraculous work, his signs and his miracles. But notice there's one more item on this list, one more reason we shouldn't drift. Look at the verse again. It says, at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. So we can look at God's signs, his wonders, his miracles, but we can look at one more thing, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes to people who put their faith in Jesus. When you become a believer, not only are you saved from sin, but you're equipped to do God's will. The Holy Spirit gives each person spiritual gifts so that we can spend our lives bringing glory to God, the glory that he deserves. Uh, Peter tells us the purpose of spiritual gifts is so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. In all of our actions, Jesus may be exalted because he's worthy. And the, the topic of spiritual gifts, it's a big one, worthy of its own sermon or series of sermons, but I want to mention a couple of things here. First, uh, I've included in your sermon notes the main places in the Bible where spiritual gifts are taught. So if if you want to look at those passages, do some study on your own, you can do that. But uh, each of these passages, each of the places where spiritual gifts are taught, they highlight different spiritual gifts. One of the passages lists uh, seven different gifts. One lists nine. One passage has a list of ten. Some appear on all the lists, some gifts don't, but there's one thing that binds all of them together. One thing that I think the author of Hebrews is trying to get to here in chapter 2, it's the one thing that keeps all of us from drifting. Because spiritual gifts can be challenging. They can be pretty divisive. I mean, if a person is gifted at at teaching or leadership, uh, they're given a lot of high-profile opportunities, a lot of public chances to exercise their gift, then it can be divisive. It makes the person who has more low-profile gift, the person who likes to serve out of the spotlight, seem a little less valuable. There's a lot of chances for division to creep in and therefore drift. And that's why every time these spiritual gifts are mentioned in the Bible, they come with an important piece of teaching. You might say they come with a, a warning of their own. For example, the Apostle Paul tells us, God has put the body together so there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. He also says, God gave us spiritual gifts in order to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. So, concern for one another, unity in the faith. These are the ultimate goals of spiritual gifts. God gives us gifts not so we can create division, putting one person on a pedestal and and diminishing the value of other people, but instead he gives us gifts so we can benefit each other. So one of the big reasons that the author of Hebrews tells us not to drift is because God has given us spiritual gifts, and our gifts are designed to make each other better, to grow each other. Your gifts help me, my gifts help you. That's how it's supposed to work. So if you drift or if I drift, then we're not just removing ourselves from this body, but we're taking away other people's chances to grow. Nobody drifts alone. The danger is not just to ourselves, but it's to other people as well. So God has designed the church, and he's gifted the church so that we all work together. In fact, all these passages talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, Paul talks about being one body. Even though we're made up of a lot of different parts, we're all one body. That's how God designed us. So if one body part drifts away, that's a problem for the whole body. 
So when this passage in Hebrews warns us about the danger of drift, it's not just for our sake, but for the sake of all of us. Drifting is is doubly dangerous then. Dangerous for the one who drifts, but dangerous for all of us in the body. Dangerous because we're all denied opportunities to grow if your gifts disappear. So these opening verses in Hebrews 2, they give us the warning, don't drift away. And they give us two reasons why we shouldn't drift. First, because whatever we drift to is going to be a lesser choice than choosing to remain anchored to Jesus. But second, when we drift, we endanger not just ourselves, but we endanger others as well. So we see the danger, but how do we respond? How do we avoid drift? Well, remember, throughout this series, we're going to be exploring not just these warnings that the author gives us, but we're also exploring how we should respond. And as we, as we consider our response, we want to look to Jesus as an example. And the author of Hebrews, again, over and over, brings us back to Jesus, brings everything back to Jesus. That's what makes this such a great book. We're constantly pointed back to him. His work, his example, over and over serve as a guide and inspiration for us. And that's true even in this passage. So we understand how to avoid drift. We've got to look first at the example of Jesus, and then we'll see how we should respond. So the example of Jesus first comes right here in the same chapter, just a little bit below this warning. Look at Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So there's a lot of things happening in these verses. I want us to just notice something of the same pattern is happening here. The same kinds of pattern that happens in our life that lead to drift shows up here in the life of Jesus. It starts off with what we might call an an opportunity to drift, a temptation. Jesus is facing hard stuff. He's tempted to drift because things are hard for Jesus. He's made low, this passage tells us. He suffers. But just like the danger of drift, he knows that it's not his own comfort that he should be concerned with, but he knows that if he succumbs to temptation, if he doesn't see things through to the end, if he drifts away from the Father, then it's not just him, but many, many others who will suffer. His brothers and sisters will suffer. So Jesus stays the course. He follows God's will, even though it's hard. He follows God even to the point of death. The passage says he tasted death, not just for himself, but he suffered and died for us, to, to, to benefit us. Just like the spiritual gifts that you and I have are designed for us to minister, to encourage one another, to grow and challenge each other, Jesus' ministry was designed to bring many sons and daughters to glory, as the passage tells us. It was designed for us, to benefit us. So as we think about the example of Jesus, how he handled the temptation to drift, then we should be encouraged. He saw things through to the end. Not for his own sake, but for our sake. And as we're tempted to drift, tempted to walk away, or tempted to fade away, we can look to Jesus' own example. He faced more suffering than we ever will. He saw it through. So whatever it is that we're going through, Jesus can relate. Burnout or worse, Jesus knows. He sees you and he can relate to you. 
He shares in our challenges and our struggles, and he showed us a way to see them through to the end, depending on the Father. But it wasn't easy for Jesus. The pathway to glory, the pathway to the end, involved suffering. The passage tells us he was made perfect through suffering. So when things get hard for us, it helps us to remember that things were hard for Jesus. We can lean on him. We can look to him. We can cry out to him. He's the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. So we can put our trust in him. He's the heir of all things. So we know that he can make good on his promises and see things through to the end. He can walk with us through difficulties. He's interceding for us even now. There's an old song, an old spiritual song. It started out as a slave song back in the 1860s. The song says, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. It goes on to say, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, sometimes I'm almost to the ground. It's a song of suffering, a song of struggle. But the key verse in the song says, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. We can look to Jesus' example. We can be strengthened by that because he knows. He knows. At the end of this chapter, Hebrews 2, the author describes Jesus as our priest advocating on our behalf. And he tells us this, For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus knows. He's faced the danger of drift, and he shows us the way out, the way forward. So Jesus teaches us by his example how to avoid the danger of drift, the danger of of spiritual burnout. And as we consider our own response, the author of Hebrews sums up for us how we can put Jesus' example into practice in our lives. He summarizes how we can notice the danger of drift, look at Christ's response, and then respond ourselves. And he summarizes right at the very beginning of this passage. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason... We must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so we will not drift away. There's a a command right here, a pathway to following Christ's example. We pay attention. That's how we follow Jesus' example, pay attention. And this word translated pay attention, it's not just like when your kids are staring at the TV and you're talking and you realize they're not listening and you say, pay attention! And you get their attention for just a few seconds and then they're back to the TV. No, it means more than that. It means being in a state of alertness, to pay close attention to something. So it's not just acknowledging that something is happening, like your kid finally realizing, oh, somebody's talking to me. No, it means you're really dialed in, in a state of alertness. So you're not just acknowledging that something's happening in your life, like, oh, this is a really hard situation. But you're letting that experience change you. You're allowing yourself to be affected by that, to grow from it. It makes me think again back to Jesus. When Jesus was early in his ministry, just beginning, he went away to to pray, to be alone with the Father. I can only imagine the kind of things he prayed about, but he was preparing himself for his ministry, not just for his teaching, but for his death on the cross. He knew what was coming, that the, the suffering that brought him to glory, as this passage in Hebrews teaches us, he knew. He was preparing himself to fulfill all the things that God wanted for him. And so Jesus was out in the, in the wilderness, which is particularly inhospitable in that part of Israel, out in the, just a desert wasteland. And he's out there fasting and praying. And at the end of 40 days of, of fasting and prayer, this time of preparation, then Jesus was tempted by the devil. But he passed this test, 
He resisted temptation because he was paying attention. He was in a a state of alertness, knowing that danger was coming. And so he's able to resist the temptation. And if you read the story, you know that Jesus was, was paying attention in a very special way. The devil comes and he tempts him to take the easy way out, to achieve glory for himself but without all the suffering. And the way that the devil tempts Jesus is by quoting some scripture to Jesus, right? Only the way that the devil understands scripture and the way that Jesus understands scripture just a little bit different. The devil's trying to take God's word and twist it to his advantage, but Jesus, he's paying attention. He knows God's word enough to understand what the devil is doing. And he resists temptation by by quoting scripture back to the devil with total accuracy, with the heart behind it. So as we follow his example, as we follow his footsteps, what are we paying attention to? We put ourselves in a state of alertness, being willing to be changed. We see our circumstances. We pay attention to what God is doing in our life enough that we can see when we're in danger of drift. And just like Jesus, we can avoid this danger by focusing on God's word, knowing the heart of God enough to keep us from drifting, keep us anchored in his truth. So if we suffer from prayerlessness, if we fail to engage God's word, then we're opening ourselves up for the danger of drift. And remember, we're not just risking ourselves, but we're endangering other people too. If we're not exercising our spiritual gifts, if we're not engaging with our faith family, we're, not, we're risking the danger of drift for ourselves and for others. When my wife and I got married, we got married under less than ideal circumstances. We were already expecting a baby by the time we got engaged. Don't try this at home. And when we made the decision to go ahead and get married, we met with our pastor and he shared a very sobering statistic. He said, folks in our situation had an 80% divorce rate. There was an 80% chance that our marriage would not work. So we paid attention. We put ourselves in a state of alertness. We leaned into our relationship with God, being willing to be changed by him, undoing some of the unhealthy relationship patterns that we had. And it was hard. If you've ever had a new baby, you know it's already hard. Sleepless nights lead to short tempers. On top of it all, we were dirt poor, which is its own stress. We had all kinds of challenges. But by God's grace, we've stuck it out. We've been married 20 years now, and we still work at it. We still have to pay attention to the right things because drift is a real danger. Now let me share another statistic with you. It's about churches. There's a lot of statistics about a pastor who comes in after there's been a long-tenured pastor at a church. So, for example, we had the same pastor here for 25 years. Statistics show that the new pastor who comes in has an average tenure of 18 months. If they're really resilient, they might make it two years. And it's not because those pastors are wimps. It's because the church resists. The church wants to drift. The pastor finally gets tired, gives up the fight, goes somewhere else, or drops out of ministry altogether. They get burned out. Well, just like the 80% divorce rate didn't have to define our marriage, this statistic does not have to define our church. We know that God wants good things for Trinity. We know he wants good things for a long time to come. So how do we avoid drift? How do we set ourselves up to be a healthy Gospel presence in this valley for the next 10, 20, 50 years until the Lord returns. Well, I want to leave us with a handful of suggestions for how each of us can avoid drift, paying attention, working together to stay focused on our mission. First, probably the most important is prayer. Again, if we want to be anchored to Christ, we have to 
spend time with him. And prayer is one of the primary ways that God has chosen for us to relate to him, for us to, to hear from him, for us to grow in our relationship with him. So prayer is a critical piece of us as individuals and as a, a faith family growing close to God, staying connected to what is most important. Prayer is a critical piece of being and remaining a healthy church, a growing church. The second thing we've got to be focused on is serving. Like we talked about, our spiritual gifts, the way we minister together is a big part of what it means to avoid drift and to stay anchored. And at Trinity, we've got so many opportunities to serve in your spiritual gifts. We've got what we call our impact team, which is simply all of us serving in different ways, making an impact. Everything from from making and serving coffee on Sunday morning, some of my favorite people, uh, to serving as a small group leader for adults, for youth. There's so many opportunities for you to get started and make an impact of your own. Uh, you may not know this, but we've got uh, several members of our elder board right now serving in our kids' ministry. That's wonderful because it proves that you can serve in more than one way, depending on your gifts. But I know each of those men would be more than happy to hand the keys of kids' ministry off to people who are gifted to serve there. So... Uh, If you aren't serving right now, stop by our impact team table. It's right out these doors. You can find a way to get involved serving. Or you can mark your connection card and we'll follow up with you. Serving helps you stay anchored, helps all of us stay anchored using our spiritual gifts together. Maybe you're thinking about serving. Maybe you don't know how to start, don't know what to do, don't know where you might fit. If that's you, there's a third way we can all work together and pay attention. And at Trinity, it's about membership. It's important. Becoming a member of Trinity helps you stay anchored. And uh, later on in this series in the book of Hebrews, we're going to talk specifically about membership. But for today, I'll just say it's important because this whole thing, church, God, all of it, it's not about you and your individual faith. It's about you being involved in the lives of other people. It's about you valuing the right things over your own comfort, over your own desires. And in that, you find real worth and value and meaning and purpose for your life. So membership is a fantastic way for you to anchor yourself, submitting yourself to the whole faith family. And the best way for you to become a member is to come to our Engage event. It's a one-time event, Engage. You can learn more about Trinity, our vision, and our values. You can find out how you fit, find out the unique contribution that you can make that makes all of us better. Engage is coming up in just a few weeks. If you want to come to Engage, mark your connection card. There's a special place in your connection card for Engage right there. A couple more ways you can avoid drift. One of those ways is just to get connected to other people, not just showing up in this room on Sunday morning, but getting relationally connected to others. The best way that we have to happen uh, to make that happen is through growth groups for adults, through small groups for youth. Growth groups are just groups of people, about 8 to 12 adults, And they meet in homes throughout the week. They focus on praying together, studying the Bible together, encouraging each other and loving relationships. If you don't have a connection to a group, I'd love to help you with that. And one of the best ways to do that is GroupLink. GroupLink is an event that we have coming up. It's a great way for you to connect to one of our groups. All you have to do is show up. And you'll meet some other folks, and hopefully you'll leave connected to a group. It's, it's, it's about as easy as we can make it for you. If you want to come to Group Link, you can see the info on the slide there. Just mark your connection card so we know to expect you. Maybe that midweek uh, commitment is hard to swallow. Your schedule prohibits it. Okay, we've still got things that you can do on Sunday morning that give you that same sense of community within the larger church community. 
You can get involved in one of our adult Bible classes that happen on Sunday mornings, just right on the other side of this wall here. You can get involved in our men's ministry. They've got a a group that might be just the right fit for you, and I'm pretty sure you're not doing anything at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so you've got the time open for that, right? Uh, Our women's ministry, they're cooking up another event this fall. You can make that a priority. There's so many ways to get relationally connected to each other. In fact, almost everything we do at Trinity is built around growth in relationships. So you can get involved. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to be a statistic. We want to be a church that's following Jesus, that's anchored in him. So that this new pastor or whoever else can come in and join the great stuff that's already happening. And we can all grow together for a long time to come. So that we can see this church family continue to thrive in this valley, impact this valley with the gospel for generations to come. Will you pray with me? God, that gospel impact, that is our prayer. That's our focus. We know that uh, it's our focus because it was also your focus. Bringing the gospel to life, bringing the kingdom to bear everywhere you went. Uh, And that's what we want to do. We want to follow in your footsteps. And we thank you for the example of Jesus that shows us that even when things are tough, that there's still a path forward to avoid drifting, to avoid falling away, fading away, running away, or just letting go of what's important. So I pray that you would renew our vigor for prayer, renew our passion for studying your word, not just individually, but as a faith family, as community, as people in relationship with each other. And I pray, too, that you would uh, stir up our own spiritual gifts. You've given them to us, and we want to be putting them into practice, Lord, and give us opportunities and point us the way to be able to do that in, in increasing measure so that we can be a church that is for this valley, for this community, for a long, long time to come. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.